Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. Today we're going to look at some of the story or a story in the Bible about wells. Wells. Kind of weird, right? You know, wells in the ground. It's a deep subject. And uh, yeah, and I'm hoping to draw out of the subject some truth. Amen. Amen. So we're going to look at wells in the scripture. And my message today is just the wells of the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk about how you see this recurring theme throughout Scripture that has to do with wells. I mean, Jesus encountered a woman at a well, and it changed her life, and He used the well as a metaphor, and we see that throughout Scripture, that wells are symbolic of the work of the Holy Spirit, the life of God in us, truth within us. Wells are symbolic of and metaphoric of what's down deep inside the human spirit and the human soul. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at different wells in our life and how God wants to restore those wells. And I want to tie it into uh, today, many of you may not know this, but today on the church calendar, so on the Christian calendar throughout the world in the three major branches of Christianity, which are Orthodoxy, Eastern Orthodoxy, Roman Catholicism, and the Protestant churches like ours, all around the world today is Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost Sunday is the Sunday where we remember the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, but also the Old Testament feast of Pentecost, which was the feast of first fruits, the ingathering of the first harvest and the celebration that was around that. And we're going to look at that today and we're going to tie it into the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Um, we're going to see that God wants us to unblock some wells. Some of you have wells, deposits of God's life and spirit and truth that were put into you as an early Christian, like right when you begin to walk with him, things that you discovered about him, things that you learned about him, God's presence and power in your life, experiences you have, and, and things have come along in life and they've kind of plugged those wells up and they've, they've stopped you from having that life of the Holy Spirit. And, and we're going to learn today about unblocking some of those things and letting God move in our life in a fresh way. Amen? And what I want you to see is that Jesus promised us wells and rivers of life. Look with me at John 4.14. John 4.14 says this, But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. Ever. This is a different, tra- oh, is that the, uh, okay. We'll ever get thirsty, never get thirsty again. Look at this. In fact, the water that I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. So this is when Jesus had this encounter with this woman and at, at, the, at the water, at, the, at Jacob's well, and he says that we're going to get water inside of us. We can drink of a certain kind of water and we can have a well of water springing up within us that leads to eternal life. Now I want to ask you the question, is that your experience? Do you have a well within? Has that well brought life to you? 
Eternal life isn't just life that lasts forever. It's a quality of life that begins in the new birth. A lot of people don't realize this. When Jesus spoke of eternal life, he wasn't primarily talking about life that lasts forever. He was talking about a quality of life, the life of God within. There are two kinds of life that human beings walk in. The first is bios life, where we get biology. And bios life is that life that pulsates through us, that's in our blood, that causes us us to be animated and to live. And we know when we see, have ever, if you've ever seen a dead body, you know that the bios life has departed from that body, right? That's one kind of life. But a lot of us don't realize that there's another New Testament Greek word for life, and it's the word zoe. And zoe life is the life of the spirit. And so other times when Jesus speaks about life, He's speaking about that second kind of life. It's the life where God's spirit comes and animates us and empowers us from the inside out and we have the nature of God breathed into us so that God's very character and life lives within us. That's what Jesus meant when he talked about these wells within, these springs within. Secondly, in John 7, 37 and 38, On the last day of the feast, I love this, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. So Jerusalem has thousands of people there for the feast day. Pilgrims have come from all over the Roman Empire and they're hanging out there in the city and Jesus stands up. Now I want you to notice the language. He stands up and cried out. Now kind of breaks the picture that we have many times of Jesus. You know, we, we see Jesus walking around in movies or we envision this, you know, kind of gentle Jesus, right? Walking on the shores of Galilee. But here Jesus is crying out. And he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. Now again, my question to you today is, is this your experience? Do you have rivers of living water coming out of your life? Right? Is there something from within you that comes out of you and goes into other people's lives and refreshes them, renews them, restores them? And if that's not the case... I'm not here to guilt trip you. I'm here to challenge you to begin to ask for that and believe for that and ask yourself, is there something in my life that's kind of clogging up the well inside? So I want to take you to an Old Testament story. It's a very interesting story, and we're going to look at it very symbolically. We'll look at the historical background of it, but we're going to look at it symbolically. And this will be found in Genesis chapter 26, so if you're a note taker, and uh, you want to take notes or you want to follow along in your own Bible, you can. But we're going to start in verse 15 and we're going to go all the way through verse 25. But right now we're just going to look at the first four verses. So look with me. And here's the first point if you're taking notes. Redig and honor the wells of your past. Redig and honor the wells of your past. Verse 15, Genesis 26. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. So this is Isaac, 
This is the son Isaac. There's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are the three personalities theologians call the patriarchs. So you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham had a son named Jacob, excuse me, Isaac. Isaac's name means laughter. Isaac was a fulfillment of a promise that God gave to Abraham. When Abraham had gone into this land, he had dug some wells because in that part of the world, it was very dry certain times of the year. And if you didn't have wells, you weren't going to drink. Kind of like here, right? You have to have wells. Those, those of you that are involved in, in water rights situations, you know what I'm talking about. That's the way it was there in that nation. So Abraham's generation, he had dug some wells with his servants. And now Isaac comes to that particular area and finds that all the wells that his father Abraham had dug have been stopped up. They've been filled with earth. And Abimelech, one of the leaders of that area, says to Isaac, go away from us for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again, notice this, dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. Okay, so a few points I want you to notice here. First of all, the Philistines had filled up these wells. And if you know anything about Bible history, the Philistines and Israel were constant enemies. Remember the story of David and Goliath? Goliath was a Philistine. Okay, so the Philistines were considered kind of the arch enemies of Israel, and they had stopped up these wells. And they're the classic enemies, and they represent in our life, and I'm, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take and I'm going to use them symbolically, they represent in our lives those things which are adversary or our own struggles or our own disappointments or our own pain and suffering represent. The hard circumstances of life, things like bitterness and unforgiveness, the things that clog up the past wells of God's work in our life. And then it says, but Isaac dug again his father's wells. I want you to notice something. He dug them again, and what did he do? He restored their names. That's really important. Isaac, we see in the book of Galatians that Isaac is a type of Jesus. He's a symbol of Jesus. We we see that spoken in the book of Galatians. And Jesus is the true Isaac. And so Jesus comes to our life. We're like wells. All of us, we just saw that from Jesus. Jesus said we're like wells. Jesus comes to our lives. He sees that things are kind of plugged up in there. (laughs) Not spiritually constipated, but kind of, right? (laughs) And he comes to redig those wells. And that's what Isaac did. He came to, rest- to redig them and restore the names. And that's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to come to our lives today, redig the places that have been covered up with pain, disappointment, life difficulties. And then he honors the heritage of his father, and he doesn't reject the gains and the truths from the past. I want to tell you one of the greatest dangers that you fall into when you're young and this is not what Isaac did. But when you're young, in the name of progress, in the name of not wanting to make the same mistakes your parents did, it, it, there's a real danger in throwing out the baby with the bathwater. You know what I mean? There's a real danger in wanting to establish your own identity. And this is hard and kind of funny for me to say right now because my son's in the room, so I have to be really careful navigating this. But there's a real danger in the younger generation to, in wanting to become their own people and their own person to say, 
uh, I don't want anything to do with the past. I don't want anything to do with my parents. But many times the things that our parents teach us, even their failures, can become our greatest lessons for life. Like we can learn much from both the failures and the successes, right? And our parents and the generations that go before us give us so much wealth emotionally, spiritually, right? They pass things on to us. There are lessons to learn. And some of us, because of the pain of our past, because our parents were maybe abusive or neglectful or they weren't there for us, we oftentimes, we just want to cut the line. We want to forget they ever existed and move on into our own world without them. And I want to warn you against that. There's a danger in that. Yes, look at the painful things and process them. See a counselor. Work through the things that you need to. But understand something. You cannot cut yourself off from your past completely. There is something that's been bequeathed to you, even if you don't know it. There are things in your genetics you can't escape. So it's better to face them and deal with them and embrace the things that are positive and good and life-giving and the things that were painful, learn from them and with God's help. Because here's the thing, if you get bitter and you're angry about it and you don't seek God's help, you will repeat the same mistakes your parents did. Absolutely. It's too deeply embedded in you. But if you go, ooh, that's ugly, I don't want that in my life, but I'm not going to let bitterness and hatred toward my parents go, that's because just being mad about it won't change you. You can't change yourself just because of your anger. And so you have to process that, get help, get a therapist, do what you need to do, but do put the work in and get healed up and come to the point where you can genuinely forgive them and love them so you can escape the bitterness, but at the same time, embrace the lessons that you can learn. Right? And so you see this with Isaac. Isaac looks at, you know, and I know he's not dealing specifically with the things with Abraham, but the wells represent the life of his fathers. And instead of just saying, ah, the heck with them, they're buried. I don't want to deal with that. He redigs the wells and he gives them their original name. And what does he do? In that symbolic act, he's saying, what my parents did was important. Even with all their flaws, it was important. And I'm going to give them the names they originally had. I'm going to honor the intention of my father. That's why the scripture doesn't give, you know, when the scripture says, honor your father and your mother so it might be well with you and you may live long in the land, it doesn't give caveats. You aren't the exception. You can't escape that reality. If you dishonor your parents, you'll pay a price. And you'll begin a process even in your own life and in your own family. So break Reverse the curse, break the cycle, and honor your father and your mother, even if it's difficult, honor them. And you need to see God about what that means, right? It means something different for everyone, but do it. Don't let it hang over your life. I feel like I'm speaking prophetically to people right now. Are you getting it, right? So what are some wells we can redig? And oh boy, I, obviously I'm not going to finish this message today, and so just pray that you can wait till September. <laughs> but, but what are some wells that you can redig in your own life? Let's look at your own past. Let's look at your own story, your own journey. I wrote down some that I felt like uh, they kind of spoke to me. Okay, so here's some, some wells to redig in your own life. How, do, how about your testimony of how Jesus Christ rescued you? When's the last time you dug into your testimony? When's the last time you opened that well up and shared it? 
Do you know only you have that testimony? And if you don't have a testimony of Jesus saving and rescuing you from the power of sin and death, if you don't have that testimony, you need to really ask yourself a question. Wait a minute, what's going on here? What's your story? Right? Um, Revelation 12, 11 says this. Many of you are familiar with this text. It says they conquered him, the enemy, Satan, the Satan. It's very clearly that's who it's talking about here. This dragon of old. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives to the point of death. I can't tell you the number of times that I've taken out my testimony and shoved it in my adversary's face. When the accuser comes to me, when my enemy blocks me, when he condemns me, I bring up, yeah, you're right. I agree with my adversary quickly on the way. Yeah, you're right. But you know what? I don't stand before God based in my own righteousness. Jesus shed his blood for me. Jesus died on the cross for me. Did I fail? Yes, I failed. But Jesus never fails. And I take out my testimony. Let me tell you what he did for me. When's the last time you told somebody else what God did for you? And not just did, I'm sorry. Your testimony isn't just your beginning walk with Christ. It's your ongoing journey of his saving power. You don't just get saved once and that's it. You get saved continually. You're saved, being saved, and will be saved. Right? Justification, sanctification, glorification. You have been saved. You are being saved. You will be saved. Right? There's this ongoing work of God over and over in your life. Have you ever had that blessed 2020 hindsight where you can look back and you recognize, ooh, right there, a trap was laid for me, but God intervened and rescued me. At the moment, I didn't see it, but now when I look back, it's clear. God brought me through. Amen. Well, I think it's pretty good. Secondly, how about prayer and Bible reading, right? We all need to redig the wells of prayer and scripture reading to deepen our relationship with God and know him better. I'll talk to people sometime and they'll say things like, I know the Bible really well. Really? Are you regularly reading it? Well, no. I read it as a child or whatever. Well, you don't know the Bible very well then. Because the reality is, is that scripture is an ongoing, I've been reading the Bible for the entire time I've been a Christian. Every year I'm, re I don't read through it every year, sometimes it takes me two years. But I'm always reading through it and I'm not, I'm not trying to boast, okay? I'm just making a point. When you're reading through scripture continually, you're, you're always relearning, you're rediscovering, and you're seeing things you missed before. It becomes a journey of, whoa, oh, I never put that together. Oh, I never quite saw it like that. And you begin to understand its chronology. And you begin to understand the big story. You start to see that Genesis to Revelation, 66 books, is really one story. It's a unified story woven through the history of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Israel as a nation. And then Israel's ups and downs, its rebellion, its love, its faithfulness, its unfaithfulness, the redemption of God, the sending of prophets to warn them, their ultimate judgment, and then God sending his own son and Jesus Christ becoming the word made flesh, and then Jesus revealing 
the nature and the heart of the Father and healing the sick and preaching the gospel and modeling for us what that looks like, then dying on the cross and absorbing our sin on the cross and then being buried and being raised and then pouring out his Holy Spirit on his people and then his Holy Spirit go out into the world and continue the mission until he comes and then in the revelation, what do we see in the revelation? We see God bringing an end and a consummation to the ages that there is an end game and that ultimately God wins with his people over evil, over darkness, over injustice, that everything wrong on planet earth gets made right. And you start to see it. And your mind gets renewed continually and you recognize this book is beautiful and powerful and it's not just another book, it's transforming. When I read it, it changes me. I don't just read it, it reads me and it transforms me. It does something to my mind, to my heart, to my soul. It checks me in my behavior. It points out my sin. It shows me how beautiful I am to God and how much he loves me. All those things get told to me over and over again as I get into the pages of the book. And then I pray. I, I, out of that overflow of encountering him in the book, I pray out of that. I talk to him about what I'm seeing and what I'm learning, and that changes me. So that I can't keep going along in that attitude, in that stinking thinking. I get checked. And I've learned something. I've learned that people that become, ultimately let that well get clogged up and they don't read scripture and they don't get into the Bible at all, those people start not thinking biblically, not thinking in a way that is kingdom oriented. They began to think along with their age. And the age they live in forms and shapes their thinking more than scripture. So scripture is so important, right? And there we meet the word. Jesus is the word but we see what he's like through the pages of Scripture. Okay, I got to move quickly, obviously. How about a prophetic vision for your life? Do you remember in the past when God gave you a sense of, wow, I'm created for something bigger than myself? Well, I'm, so, I'm part of a bigger family. Well, there's a kingdom thing going on on planet earth. And I, I remember as a new Christian when I was awakened to that fact, because when you first become a Christian, it's kind of all about you. You know what I mean? Like, I'm forgiven. I'm loved. Oh my gosh, God's real. Oh, this is great. Right? So you initially, you're so excited, but then you start to realize, wait a minute, I'm just one functioning member in a giant body of people through 20 centuries and all kinds of traditions in history, and we're weaved together, and they are my family, past, present, and future, and we're part of something big, and ultimately, God's going to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Everything's going to be cre- filled with God, and everything's going to be redeemed, and I'm a part of that. It really hits you again if you ever get a chance to go on a mission trip overseas and and be a part of of a team like that. You go to another country and you're in a worship service and everybody's singing hallelujah and you realize these are my people and they're a different color, they speak a different language, Their, their, their life is so different in so many ways, but they are your people and you begin to realize, wow, I'm part of something bigger than myself. This isn't just all about me and my American view of the world, my Amerocentric Christianity. By the way, we're sick with Amerocentric Christianity. 
Christianity doesn't revolve around the United States, it doesn't revolve around America, and it doesn't revolve around your political party. It's so much bigger, it transcends it all, it's over it all, in it all, through it all. Jesus Christ is king, he's not Republican or Democrat, he's king over the nations and over creation, and he has our allegiance above all others. And the last two, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm already over my time, forgive me, the last two, a marriage and family vision. You know, it was in the pages of the Bible and through prayer that Peggy and I got our vision from God about being parents and about marriage and about sexuality and about money and all of it. Some of those lessons were I was really slow learning, but it was there in the pages of Scripture that I learned those things. There in prayer, there with other people, God gave me a vision of something, right? He put that well inside of me. But sometimes life, it beats you up and you get discouraged and you get disappointed and you get disillusioned and people let you down and churches let you down and your job lets you down and your family lets you down and before you know it, your well is all clogged up. And I want to say to you, redig your wells. Remember the vision that God gave you for your marriage and family and last is that we'd be a people full of the Holy Spirit. We'd be a people full of the Holy Spirit. Today's Pentecost Sunday, as I said, and and I want to tell you, the Christian life, the true Christian life, the true biblical Christian life is not a, let me tell you what it's not before I tell you what it is. It is not, um, I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to get religion. I'm going to be um, good. That's not, none of that is Christianity. That's man-made religion. It is, I'm calling you to an impossible high standard called Jesus. And without God's power inside of you, without the Holy Spirit empowering you and enabling you, you can't do this. (laughs) It's impossible without God empowering you, right? So redig those wells of trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.